Happy 4th of July. Before we get started, I have to say that I'm sorry because we had recorded an amazing episode yesterday. Lisa and I were both on point and Lisa was so amazing in it and I was trying to edit it this morning and well I don't know where my head was and somehow I clicked a button and I lost it. I don't know how that happened but it is now 11:40 in the morning on the 4th of July and she does not have time to come back and re-record the episode. Welcome to our 4th of July holiday episode. Again, I'm your host, Summer. And as you know, Lisa won't be with us today because I screwed up and lost our episode that we recorded yesterday. I'm so sorry. You guys are missing the most amazing episode ever. Um, So I'm going to try to make it up to you and try to make this one almost as great. Today is the 4th of July, so for those of you that aren't in America, you need to know that today is the day that we celebrate our independence. So basically, we get together, usually with friends and family, and we have cookouts, and we celebrate with fireworks. A lot of cities and different organizations put on big firework displays which are really pretty. And there are some of the bigger cities like New York City that go all out and put on major firework shows that people come from all over the country to see. And places like Disney World and Disneyland also put on huge firework shows that attract people. So there are people that travel thousands of miles to see these beautiful displays of fireworks. They plan their vacations around this first few weeks of July and a lot of these places will have these big firework displays that they do every night for the first two weeks of July or sometimes even three weeks of July to allow people to see these beautiful displays and stuff because it does attract such big crowds. So how far would you go? for a spectacular firework display. You know, many people travel across the country to witness beautiful displays in the night sky throughout the month of July. I personally usually don't travel around this time of year because there's a lot of people traveling. We're just going over to Lisa's, which is about, you know, a mile from my house. But, you know, a lot of people do travel. There are a lot of beautiful displays all over the country, you know. And so there are people that will travel a thousand, two thousand miles to see these beautiful displays that are put on in big cities like New York City um, at Mount Rushmore in um, South Dakota, um, over at Disney World and Disneyland. People do travel very far to see some of these, but it does appear that there are some types of beings that travel from galaxies far, far away to witness these shows or maybe to perhaps put on shows of their own. So while UFOs can be sighted at any time of the year, it seems as though there is an increase of the tidings around July. Those first few weeks, especially the 4th of July, it really spiked. That is 
probably why July 2nd is World UFO Day. So, yay, that's really cool. But it could be that because our attention is turned to the night sky during this part of the month, maybe. Um, you know, everybody watching fireworks and stuff. So that could be part of it. It could be that, you know, through June and July, that people are outside a lot. So maybe that's why people are seeing them more. Um, there are a smaller spike of sightings around like New Year's Eve when there tend to be firework displays too. So maybe it is the fireworks that attract them. Maybe they like the fireworks. I personally like fireworks. Or maybe it really is, you know, you know, maybe it is just that we're looking up at the sky and tend to see these. Whatever it is, I don't know. Let's, you know, let's look and see. Let's draw, let's let you draw your own conclusions and then you can tell me what you think. So I am going to talk to you about a few stories of UFO sightings that have been around July 4th. So Lakeville, Minnesota, July 4th, 2010. This was featured on the Minnesota CBS News. Esme Murphy and her family were attending a fireworks show at a local high school football field. It was around nine o'clock in the evening, you know, so it was just starting to get dusk. It was about time for the fireworks show to start and they were all kind of sitting up in the stands just waiting. And somebody behind her in the crowd yelled for other people to look up at the sky behind them. So she stood up and turned around and her family also turned around and looked. And what they saw was a light brown object with a golden ball in the center. Um, the top of the ball was spinning and on one side of it had a black protrusion um, that seemed to spin around, but it wasn't just constantly spinning. Um, she said that it would stop at times. It would spin halfway around. Sometimes it would spin all the way around. Sometimes it would stop and just sit there and then it would spin some more. So it appeared to be like a camera. And so it was like it was scanning and taking pictures or something. So this object flew in a curved line across the top of the crowd. It was actually came from a tree line that was behind the field and flew in a curved line over the crowd and then disappeared into the tree line on the other side of the field. She obviously wasn't the first one to see it, but about 25 other people at least saw this UFO. Uh, it flew from the west to the east in a slight northern curve, she said at an altitude of about 1,000 to 1,200 feet. And it traveled over a line of trees and disappeared into the hill out of sight. Now, from what I found, there were no other reports that night of this. It was just the people there. So, I mean, it could have been that it just flew over this field and it was like in the woods and stuff had stuck to that area that was in the woods so it stayed out of sight. Um, Lisa and I discussed that it could have just been some type of drone because you know a lot of people have drones and so they could have been flying the drone through there and trying to get you know a picture of the crowd or a picture of the fireworks. It could have been 
some kids drone messing around, but that's a pretty high altitude to for somebody to just be messing around. Now, at this point, Lisa told a story about a friend of hers that drove that flew a drone. I mean, this was an awesome story, and I wish that I hadn't lost the episode so that we still had this story because she told it so well. But she had this friend that had a, a drone that he he does drones all the time, and he's part of this group that builds drones and they build them out of different things and then they try to fly them you know see how high they can fly them see what kind of antics they can get up to with them and so one time he put a doll head like a woman's head i don't know she didn't say what kind of head it was but some type of head i picture like a mannequin head on the bottom of this drone and it was about dusk and he's flying this drone through through this town and people were seeing this head but it was just dark enough that they really couldn't see the drone so they were just seeing this head flying through town and so it got a lot of talk and to me that is hilarious because i can just imagine what it would be like to see this white head flying through town and I mean, that would be terrifying and hilarious when you found out exactly what it was. So we talked about the fact that, you know, it, it could have been a drone. It could have been just, you know, taking pictures. It could have been, you know, for the paper. For If it had been for the local news, I think they would have known it. But I don't think the news would have actually, you know, aired this story if they had known about it or if it had been like a local paper or something drones so you know it could have been a ufo drone we don't know so for now it's an unidentified flying object and then july 4th 2009 at lake arlington texas and this was also on a news channel um nbc channel 5 for dallas fort worth uh the newsroom received multiple reports that night of a fireball over lake arlington um, one of those reports came from Brian Haddock and his children. They were traveling around the lake about 10 o'clock that evening, and they said there was a huge fireball. They said that it was so big they knew it wasn't any type of firework, and the children even thought that it was a plane crashing. It was so big, and so they reported that it was traveling from the east to the west. Another person called in, Brent Widener, and reported that he actually saw a glowing circle flying close to the ground and stated it wasn't an airplane. So what he saw wasn't a fireball like what other people were reporting. He saw an actual glowing circle, like, you know, some type of saucer thing flying close to the ground and said that it wasn't an airplane. The news report stated that both of the city's large firework displays had happened the night before, so there were no legal firework displays going on at that time. And there were multiple reports that stated lights were seen that were too big and were traveling too far and too fast to be fireworks. So these were obviously not fireworks. Um, people would know what fireworks look like and they were saying these were not fireworks. These were something unknown that they were seeing that they'd never seen in the area. 
and they were flying around in ways that fireworks did not fly. Um, and obviously, there wasn't a plane crash or, you know, they would know if it was something that was flying around low to the ground and stuff, it wouldn't have been a meteor crash or anything because they would have known had something like that crashed in the area. So could this have been an alien spacecraft? You know, it could have been. Um, those are kind of vague reports. Um, but the things that I'm going to talk about now are a little further back in history, but they are a little more interesting. Let's go back to 1996. 1996 was a pretty good year. So, Bernie, Indiana, on July 6th in 1996, Don Sprunger was driving home from a friend's house early in the morning. Um, she was about 18 years old. Uh, it doesn't say what time it was in the morning. Um, I'm imagining probably 1, 2, possibly 3 o'clock in the morning. It was just early in the morning. Um, and she's driving home from this friend's house and she spotted a triangular-shaped object hovering in the sky above her. Um, she described it like a vertical jet and it was just hovering there. And she said at times she could see red and blue lights. Now, in 1996, jets didn't have the ability to hover. And as far as I know now, we don't have any hovering jets either. So a hovering jet, um, again, you know, could be a drone, but I don't really remember drones being a thing in 96, um, much less a triangular shaped hovering drone that would you know, be able to just sit there with her car and, you know, keep pace with her vehicle. Uh, she said that she was really frightened by this object. So she got a really good look at this object and it doesn't seem like it was small enough and, you know, would really look like a toy for her to get that frightened of it. And so she raced home and she jumped out of her car and ran in the house and looked out the windows and the object was outside of her house now. Okay, so you've got this frightened 18 year old girl who sees this object as she's driving home in the middle of the night and it's frightened her. So she goes and she wakes up her parents. Her parents come out and they look at it and now it's frightened her parents. So her parents call the authorities the police get there and they end up calling in the police chief and the mayor and so now you have the police chief and the mayor all at this house with a bunch of different police officers and the mayor even gets some video footage of this account encounter so this wasn't some kind of toy um, this wasn't an airplane that's just hovering some kind of new military technology that we would know of now. Um, this, this wasn't anything that anybody had known of. This was something very strange. So Paulding, Ohio on July 4th, 1996. So just two days before and 50 miles away from Don Sprunger, a pilot and his wife took off on their plane for a joyride. So they took their plane up they were just going to fly around. It was early evening. 
So, you know, it was not quite dark and maybe they were going to see some fireworks from a distance, you know, and just kind of look at things from up in the sky. And while they're flying around, they flew over a field owned by Don and Sue Arend. And they saw mysterious circle shapes pressed into their wheat field. Um, so they go and they tell Don and Sue, who knew nothing about this. And so they call authorities. And before they could get people out to actually investigate this, you know, people that would know what to do about this and you know, could actually figure out what's going on. Word got around, and so people started coming out and trampling on this. But also, Don Sprunger found out. So a couple of days later, Don has this experience, and then she and she finds out about what happened with these crop circles, and it makes her feel better because she feels like these two things were connected. You know, first there's crop circles. Two days later, she has this experience okay, there's things going on around here that, you know, aren't things that are normal. So she feels like, okay, I'm not crazy. There really are things going on here. So she she feels a little bit better about things. So that's just two stories that happened within 50 miles of each other that, you know, several people did witness. Um, several people saw what happened and so it has a lot of witnesses. Um, this next one, we're going way back to 1947. Um, this one was also very interesting. Um, we're going to Boise, Idaho now, where Captain Emil J. Smith is a pilot for the United Airlines, and he was very skeptical of UFOs. You know, at this time, um, a lot of airline pilots and stuff people were reporting seeing flying saucers and flying discs when they were up in the air and they were flying. You know, they were, there were all these different reports and things. This was, you know, this was around, you know, the same time as uh, the Roswell incident. And there were a lot of these reports going out. And so he was very skeptical of this. In fact, he even told reporters that he thought that these pilots were just seeing reflections of their own instrument panel and they were just panicking. You know, he thought this was just nonsense and this was crazy and stuff. So on July 4th, 1947, he boarded his plane for flight 105 to Seattle. The captain had joked to others who had asked him about seeing UFOs just before he got on his flight. And he said, I will believe in those discs when I see them. And then he boarded his flight. And as he left the airport at 9.04, the Boise Tower bid him farewell saying, be on the lookout for those flying saucers. So this, everybody joked at him. Everybody knew that he was very skeptical of these. So shortly after takeoff, five disc-like objects appeared approaching the plane head on. They quickly reversed directions, and for 45 miles, they stayed with the airplane. So in 1947, there was no technology available that we knew of that could be flying that fast at that altitude straight toward a plane and automatically, just immediately, without 
doing any kind of turnaround, just stop and reverse and start going in the opposite direction. And these discs didn't turn around. They didn't do anything. They just basically started going in the opposite direction and following him. And so 45 miles, I mean, going that fast, it's not that long, but they followed him for about 45 miles. At one point, they tightened their formation and got really close to the plane and it was making him nervous. So he flashed his landing gear lights and so they kind of loosened up, but then they would tighten up again and get a little bit closer and then loosen up and get a little bit closer and loosen up. And it was almost like they were playing with him. And then they kind of loosened up and vanished off out of sight. And then a few minutes later, another group of four saucer-like discs showed up and started following them for a few more minutes before they too vanished out of sight. The UFOs were witnessed by Captain Smith and co-pilot Ralph Stevens and the airline stewardess, now known as a flight attendant, Marty Marrow. The captain called Pendleton, Oregon, which was where they were stopping next, and told them about the disc. So when they got there, the airport already had reporters waiting, and this sighting was said to have made other reports more credible due to the fact that they there were no clouds to misidentify, you know, there it was blue skies, it was sunny, there was nothing in the sky that they might have misidentified as disc. There were two experienced pilots, both of which had flown for many, many hours. And so, you know, they knew their stuff and they had never seen this before. They had never made these claims before. They were both very skeptical of this. So for them to say, you know, oh my gosh, we saw these things was a big deal. And it was witnessed by a total of three people who had never seen these things, had never made these claims before. And the event lasted approximately 12 minutes during which the UFOs were inside of the plane, which was a pretty long time for them to be flying right there by the plane. So, that was one of the things that made all of these sightings at that time become a lot more credible because these pilots were very well known for their skepticism and all of a sudden now they're seeing it too. So if you want to go UFO hunting, where do you think you would start? Now, yesterday Lisa said New Mexico or somewhere out in the desert because, you know, you get those really beautiful skies and stuff, especially if you go somewhere out in the desert, high on the mesa or up in the mountains or something where you get those really pretty high altitude skies, which I agree, that would be amazing. I would love to go UFO hunting somewhere in there. And those places are really high up on the list, but surprisingly, the best place, the top ranked place, according to satelliteinternet.com, um, which was last updated on June 24th, 2020. They ranked Idaho as the best place to go if you wanted to see a UFO, because that state has the most UFO sightings per capita. 
I thought that was really interesting. So, Idaho, you see a lot of UFOs. If the thought of aliens scare the bejesus out of you, then you want to move to Texas because they have the least amount of UFO sightings. Which is interesting because it's a pretty big state that they have the least amount. Um, here in Oklahoma, where Lisa and I are at, we were ranked 28th. So we're kind of right in the middle. You know, we have some, but not a lot. Um, but New Mexico was right up there. It was ranked 5th. Um, so it was pretty high up there. And that, you know, makes sense, considering it has one of the most famous UFO cases, the Roswell case, which happened in Roswell, New Mexico. And so, if you are not familiar with that one, you must have been in outer space for the last 73 years. You know, maybe you're new to alien conspiracy theories, which, if you are, you're in the right place to learn about those things, and you will become my new best friend because I love that stuff. Um, you will learn quickly that when it comes to these podcasts, I love murder mysteries. I really do. But I am more into the ghost and alien stories, whereas Lisa is really the true crime one of our group. So, you know, that's what makes us such a great team for this podcast. So you'll get a lot of these alien stories, weird conspiracies, and things like that from me. So, for those of you who have heard the story, I'm sorry. I hope I don't bore you to death, and I hope I don't get any of the facts wrong or leave out any information because there's a lot of things here. There's a lot of rabbit holes you can go down. There's a lot of conspiracies, so I'm going to keep it pretty simple and just share kind of the basic story and stuff because I do have a surprise at the end of this podcast. So I do have one more, this one last July 4th alien story for you, and then I have a surprise. So we're going to go over the Roswell incident. It started on June 14th in 1947, but I do promise there is a July 4th tie-in. So, on June 14, 1947, Matt Brazell and his son, Vernon, were driving across their large ranch when they came across something very strange. It appeared to be a wreckage of some sort, but it wasn't an airplane or any material that the man and his son had ever seen. They took some of the pieces and they couldn't figure it out, so they went to their neighbor, Will Proctor, and his father, Floyd Proctor, and they did some experiments with it. So in an interview, Mr. Brazell stated that the material he came across were odd pieces of metal and foil that couldn't be cut, burned, or wrinkled. Some of them had symbols on them. That was in a language that he had never seen before. It made no sense to him. He couldn't figure out what these materials were. They were nothing that he had ever seen before. So, on July 4th, here's the tie-in because this is where everything kind of blew up. On July 4th, 1947, um, the Proctors convinced Matt Brazell that he had found a piece of a UFO. And they all took these pieces to the local sheriff. And he was baffled too. 
He looked at the debris. They told him about all the experiments they'd done and how they couldn't do any harm to it. They showed him where, you know, hey, we tried to burn this. There's no burn marks. We couldn't do anything. You know, look, we couldn't cut it. We couldn't tear it. We can't wrinkle it. We can't, you know, this material just is not anything we've ever seen on Earth. And so he's confused by it too. So he calls the military and they sent Officer Jesse Marcel to investigate along with a counterintelligence officer whose name had been redacted from the files that I could find. So the files that I found online, some of them had been very heavily redacted. And so I couldn't get some of the names and some of the information. And then some of it I did find from newspaper articles and stuff, but even that didn't have some information because again, the files had been redacted. And so they, not even they had information. So this nameless counterintelligent officer came with Officer Jesse Marcel and they looked at the material and stated that it was likely a UFO crash. A press release was issued by Lieutenant Hoat stating that the U.S. Air Force was in possession of the remnants of a UFO. And this was on July 8th. So all of this happened, he found it on June 14th, and by July 8th, the Air Force was issuing a statement saying that they had found a UFO. So after that statement, of course, you know, there's all of this buzz. Okay, so, you know, all these airplanes, pilots are saying that they're seeing these things. There's reports everywhere in newspapers. Now the United States Air Force is saying, yeah, we have actually a crash of a UFO. We have actual proof that UFOs exist, and it's not just these airline pilots that are saying it. We have physical proof. So that afternoon, while doing an interview on a local radio station in Roswell, Mr. Brazel was taken into custody by military police officers. His interview was confiscated, and the station was threatened to be shut down if they aired any of his story. So they wouldn't let the station talk about anything that he had told them, and his story was completely destroyed. So he was taken into custody, and a few hours later, he returned to the radio station, where he quickly told them that what they found on his ranch was nothing more than a weather balloon. So, on July 9th, the next day after Mr. Brazil was taken by the military and came back and said, it's not a UFO, it's actually a weather balloon, you know, the War Department at Washington, D.C. Uh, made a public statement saying that the debris found in Roswell, New Mexico on the Brazil ranch was the remnants of a weather balloon. And that was their official statement. That's a statement that was put in government documents. Also on July 9th, 1947, the Roswell Daily Record, um, the local newspaper, reported harassed rancher who located saucer, sorry he told about it. And Mr. Brazil never spoke of the incident again. So all these years later, after many speculations after all of these rumors, all of these things, you know, the government can 
it just said it's a weather balloon nothing more there's nothing going on there and stuff the government now says that the debris was not from a weather balloon well not a real weather balloon but a highly specialized spy balloon that was part of project mogul it was a high altitude balloon that stretched 102 feet tall and had different types of sensing and listening devices that streamed behind it and was designed to float toward Russia so they could spy on Russia to see if they had any nuclear devices. Because remember, this was part of the Cold War, and at that time, Russia didn't have nuclear devices, but the United States didn't know that. So, despite all of this, many still believe that there is more to the Roswell story, and you can go down a lot of rabbit holes in the story, and if you ever want to, just start Googling it because you can find a lot of different conspiracy theories. You can find a lot of different things. You can find alien autopsy videos. Um, some of them that I've watched were really fake looking, but I don't know. There was a really good episode of Factor Fate. I loved that show. So if you ever get a chance to watch reruns of that show, I highly recommend it. Um, but there was an episode that they did where they went to Area 51 and watched some sort of aircrafts coming in late at night. Um, it was really interesting. Can't say that they were alien spacecrafts, but they were interesting. Um, it was definitely hush-hush top secret. It was a really cool episode, so I recommend watching it if you get a chance. So there are a lot of people that believe there's a lot more going that went on there. There's a lot of people that believe that there's more to the alien thing than what we believe. There was a lot more to the Roswell crash. I believe that there was more to that than what we've been led to believe. If you look at what they say today versus what the articles say from back then, you see a lot of um, differences. When I was researching this and I was looking at it, all of the articles from back then and everything I had read from before, it mentioned these weird metal pieces, the metallic pieces, the symbols, the strange foil-like metal, you know, and it talked about weather balloons, but now it talks about foil pieces, um, strange metallic pieces, but it also talks about sticks and wooden pieces and wooden pieces was never talked about in the past so that's kind of strange that they would add that and if they wanted everybody to believe that this was just a weather balloon if they wanted to say this was nothing um it was just a weather balloon why not show p pictures from the crash why not publish pictures even if this was a top secret project they could have taken some type of pictures that didn't show any really top secret stuff that could make people believe that it was just a weather balloon if it wasn't any type of alien spacecraft that could say, hey, see, it was nothing. Why keep saying this? Why, why hold a press conference and say 
it's an alien spacecraft and then hold a press conference and say no it's a weather balloon because that just is completely crazy and it just it's confusing it doesn't make any sense and that really builds that conspiracy theory you know when you have two parts of the government saying different things and one of them from Roswell from area 51 from right there that saw the crash that saw the material and then one from Washington DC that's just issuing these things and when you have military come and arrest the guy that was on the ranch and then him come back and say it was just a weather balloon i'm never talking about it again and go on after they are harassing people and threatening people i mean it just it all doesn't make sense but that's just my two cents you all make up your mind no matter what you think and no matter what's going on at area 51 roswell the town has really prospered on the whole alien um, incident. They have made this into a big tourist thing. It's a really fun city. I went there a few years ago when my kids were younger. I have a family member there. Big shout out to Twyla, hey. (laughs) We had so much fun there. It's a really neat city and I really would love to go back And if you are interested in the history and you do go there, they do have a museum there that goes over all the history, um, everything that happened. They have pictures and stuff. And they do talk about, you know, what the government says actually happened. And then they have all the conspiracies and stuff. And they have cute little aliens that you can take pictures with. And they have all the touristy stuff. And everything but it's a really fun place to go so I do highly recommend it so that is a pretty basic story of the Roswell incident like I said there are a lot of rabbit holes you can go down but I'm gonna leave that up to you and I did promise you a surprise and this was actually a big surprise for Lisa and I didn't tell her about this, so I had told her what I was doing this episode on and everything, but I kept this one from her. So, as you know, last month on my murder, I had a cult, or you know, you may not know, I had a cult uh, that was part of the murder mystery that I did. And Lisa got really excited about the cult and she asked for everybody to send names of cults or information on cults that you were interested in because she just really, really liked the cult aspect of that. And she wanted to do more cults. And she's been talking a lot about cults lately and really getting interested in that and wanted to do more stories on cults. So... As I was doing my research for this episode, I came across a really interesting story that includes murder and aliens and cults. So I am going to bring you a bonus story that does take place in July. I am going to take you to July 15th, 
2017, about three o'clock in the morning, when a 911 operator in Coolball Township, Pennsylvania, gets a 911 call, and the voice on the other line is very frantic. She's really frantic, and once the 911 operator gets her calmed down, she finds out that the voice is that of 40-year-old Barbara Rogers, and she is saying, my boyfriend had a gun, he told me to hold it to his head and press the trigger. Oh my God, he's dead. And that's a very weird thing to say. He told me to hold it to his head and press the trigger. Oh my God, he's dead. So with that information, officers knew that they were walking into a odd situation, um, a murder, most likely, possibly a suicide. They weren't quite sure, but they knew that it could possibly be a dangerous situation. They arrived at the couple's double-wide trailer and found Stephen Minio, 32 years old, dead, with a bullet wound to his head, gunpowder residue, and a star-patterned burn mark on his forehead, indicating that the gun had either been pressed against his head or had been very close. And they found his girlfriend, Barbara Rogers standing over him. She told the police in an interview that they had been outside shooting their gun and that when they came in, he handed her the gun and told her to put it on his head and to pull the trigger. She also at one point told them that he had taken her hand and pulled the trigger himself but either way that he had told her to shoot him and he ended up dead so what they didn't know was that things were about to get really really crazy and i'm telling you guys this is really wild so hold on to your seat, get another drink, because we are jumping down the rabbit hole. So, Barbara Rogers and Stephen Minio lived in a double-wide trailer in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania, and they lived mainly as hermits. They didn't go anywhere. Most of their time was spent on the internet, they really didn't have any friends other than online. They didn't have any family that they talked to. They had each other, and that was pretty much it. They didn't go out except for necessities, and they stayed mainly to themselves. So these two the, were the only two physical people that they had in the world, and so they had gotten involved in this religious group. Um, Stephen apparently had gotten into this religious group and had gotten Barbara involved. He had found it online a long time ago and it seemed to have clicked with him. It was an online website that he found led by Sherry Schreiner. Sherry Schreiner had started this website around 
2004, and she started talking about her beliefs. She used the website. Um, she did some radio, online radio broadcast, kind of like podcast type things. She did some YouTube videos that weren't really videos. They went on YouTube, but they were just like a picture or pictures of celebrities, depending on what she was talking about. But they never showed her face. She was never on there. But she uh, she did these things. She had a Facebook account that she was on pretty regularly. She updated numerous times a day. Uh, she had her website. She published books. She had numerous articles that she had on her website. She was on, she had numerous websites and she wrote on other websites, put things on other websites and stuff. She was very active online and stuff out there spreading her her ideas and her views of her religion, okay? So Stephen got involved with this, with Sherry Shriner's religion. He started talking to other people that were on her websites, that were active on her websites and her Facebook page and stuff. And he really found a place that he belonged. So these were the people that he considered friends, the people that he communicated with regularly. And he he drew Barbara along with him. So Barbara kind of came along with him and, you know, she uh, also posted on these sites and stuff and became active with him. And soon he started also talking to Sherry Schreiner herself. Uh, Sherry Schreiner was, she was the leader of this. She was the one who developed this. However, around this time of this murder, suicide, whatever you want to call it, they had apparently gotten into a fight over some pictures that Barbara had posted of her food. Um, Barbara had posted some pictures of steak tartare that she had recently started eating and had really gotten into. And Sherry Schreiner had made some comments about these and had said that she was a witch and a vampire and possessed by demons and aliens. And so others on this website had also jumped in and had made some threats, had even posted pictures of the couple's house, which they found threatening. And there were some other things that later come up that were going on uh, between the two. So they were having these problems and apparently this is what had led to him asking her to, to kill him because he felt that it was a sin for him to commit suicide and he couldn't handle this any longer. He couldn't go through this stress. He couldn't handle being an outcast in this religion that he believed so thoroughly in. So he, he begged her, urged her to pull the trigger or possibly put his hand on it and 
made her pull the trigger. But anyway, he ended up ended up dead that night. So what kind of power could this woman have? Let's let's kind of jump down this rabbit hole and talk about Sherry Shriner. Sherry Shriner from Carrollton, Ohio, started her website about 2004. Um, And she, from what I could gather, from what I could understand, and I spent hours, I spent a few days looking at things. I read articles. I went through websites. I watched videos. I went on her Facebook page. I mean, it was, I did a lot of research on this and really what I could come up with, what I could figure out from this. And, you know, if anybody has really spent more time researching this, if anybody is really into this and they can tell me more, please do. But what I could figure out on this is that Miss Schreiner believed that Satan and other fallen angels want to take over the earth. And so they are using reptilian aliens and other types of aliens uh, to do this. They have dominion over Mars and other planets. And so they send aliens to earth. And they use aliens that live within the earth to possess people. And some of these are more humanoid or can take the shape of people, humans. And so they kind of become like human-like. And they fool people. Apparently Satan was able to come to the earth at one point. And he did many years ago, and he came in the form of Jesus just to fool people, to get people to worship him. And then he went back to Mars. And at some point, he will be coming back from Mars as the Antichrist and will be taking over the Earth. So... These aliens that are already here have taken over a lot of government officials, a lot of celebrities, a lot of people that we regular humans look up to. And they also have factories that make greys, the typical aliens that we think of when we think of aliens, um, the ones that people see who have these abductions. And when they do abduct people, they do this to run tests on people to and to mix their DNA in people, possibly to put trackers in them. They clone themselves. She also claims that, she also claims that that the government is involved in this plot to help bring Satan back to Earth to form this New World Order. And this plot has been going on for ever, basically. But our the U.S. government is now involved in this and 
they are spending billions of dollars in this project Bluebeam or Bluebeam project. And what this project is, is a way that they can beam these holograms into the sky to send messages to people and this will help form a one world religion because what the plan is is to form these messages in the sky in the form of deities or saints or religious symbols or whatever from all the world religions and have these deities or whatever telling people that they have misinterpreted their religious text and that their religious text really says this other thing and so that everybody gets on the same page and everybody starts worshiping this one entity which will be Satan and then the US government is going to fund a way for Satan to come from Mars in a UFO and land on Earth and then Satan will be the one world ruler will have one government one religion and one ruler and aliens will roam the earth freely and I I don't really understand what is going to happen to people because um, she talks a lot about them mating with people, inserting DNA in people to make kind of hybrids, and trying to kill people. Uh, she talks about chemtrails. Chemtrails are um, not to be confused with contrails which are you know from airplanes these chemtrails are left by small white airplane looking things but they're really aerodromes and they're poisonous they stay in the sky for hours and they're really thick um they pollute the air, they pollute the water, they pollute the ground, they kill people and livestock, they poison our food, they poison our water, they poison our ground. And those people who don't get sick and die um, do get sick and go to the doctor and this is where you get, you know, these tests run, you get alien DNA mixed in your DNA, you get all kinds of things done to you. She also believes uh, that vaccinations are a way of implanting microchips and inserting alien DNA in bodies. So um, when we get our children vaccinated, that's what's happening. When we go in and get flu shots, that's what's happening. And so uh, the only people who are, I guess, pure people are anti-vaxxers right now. She talks about celebrities are usually these reptilians anyway, and then they're switching them out for either 
other reptilians or robots or clones. Um, and this includes Taylor Swift. So I'm sorry, Caleb. My 20-year-old son is madly in love with her, just like most young men in the country. And so, sorry, but she's really a robot, alien, reptilian, humanoid, something. Sorry, Taylor Swift. I love you. I love your music. You're beautiful. I didn't say this. This is coming from Sherry Schreiner. Uh, so don't get mad at me. There is just so much <laughs> that goes on from here. So with all these reptilians and aliens and demons and follow, fallen angels and mass-produced aliens that they're just cloning and making um, to go out and do their bidding, walking around the earth, she has a way to stop them and this is called Orgon. And so what Orgon is are these little hockey puck sized things that are made out of quartz crystal and metal shavings, um, mainly copper. And she sells them. Uh, she sells them on her website. She sells pendants made out of these for personal protection and also these little Oregon hockey puck things. And she also urges people to make them. So you don't have to buy them from her. There are There is a website that tells you how to make these. And well, the way that the website tells you how to make them does include crystals and sap and copper wire and pennies. But when you look at them, they really look like plastic filled with glitter. They look like little, I don't know, paperweight things. So these things are supposed to be thrown in rivers, in streams, in bushes, buried in yards, just put anywhere and everywhere. And you're supposed to wear them for personal protection because these are supposed to help humans heal and they are also supposed to keep away evil spirits and harm these aliens. They can make their blood boil, they can cause blisters, um, they can seriously harm these alien beings and even kill them. So these aliens will be driven away from areas where these Oregon things are at and I guess she thinks that if she can get enough people throwing these out and burying them and, you know, stuff that they will stay away and they will go away. And I mean, I guess that's a, a good plan. So she claims that she goes on road trips and she goes out and she hides these and stuff. So she does have a way, she does ask for donations to make these so that she can go out and do these in donations for her road trips to go out and throw these around in ditches and stuff to save us all from aliens. And she asked other people to do this as well. So Sherry Schreiner says that she does not have a cult. She says that you can turn 
her stuff off at any time. You don't have to listen to her. You don't have to believe her that she's just spreading her truth. But she has over 20,000 followers. Uh, she does ask for money to help fund her ministry and to help save the world. Uh, she has a mission. Um, she tells everybody that this is the only way to live is to listen to her. Uh, she is the only person that has been told this message from God. The only person that anybody can believe because everybody else might be an alien. And she's the only one that can stop this new world order. So if you aren't listening to her and you aren't believing her, then you are at risk of being possessed by an alien, being taken over by an alien, or, you know, you're going to let this new world order happen and you're just going to fall for this antichrist plan. So, I don't see how this is an occult. I don't see how, you know, when you go on there and you look at her Facebook followers and you look at how passionate people are, um, how people are buying this organ, people are going out and, you know, doing these things that she's asking and donating money and spreading this message that just seems so outrageous. That screams cult to me. But also, going back to the original story that I started with, Barbara and Steven, this is kind of how everything came, came to a head with Barbara and Steven. So, Barbara and Steven had been a part of this cult. Barbara and Steven had been listening to her radio broadcast or podcast. They had been um, listening to her YouTube channel. They had been posting on her Facebook page. They had been following all, you know, these things that she said and stuff. But Barbara was a little bit skeptical. Barbara thought it was kind of odd but Stephen was wholeheartedly into this. He had been before he met Barbara. And so she was just kind of, okay, you know, if this is what you want to believe, okay, and stuff. And then he started talking about the Oregon and he started spending money um, buying this. And when he spent money and he bought this and he got this Oregon that looked like this paperweight, like this plastic glitter paperweight. And then she posted pictures of this food that she just had found and she just really, really liked. And then they start attacking her and saying that she's a witch, a vampire, an alien is possessing her. Okay, so... I'm going to go into therapist mode here and let's talk about Stephen and his mindset. So he's been in this cult. He's indoctrinated into this and he believes this fully. And he's in love with Barbara. You know, he's fully committed to this relationship and Barbara is the only 
person, only human being that he has in his life, the only physical being that he has in his life. And he spends all of his time on the internet. He fully believes everything that Sherry Schreiner is feeding him. And now all of a sudden, he's being told that his girlfriend, his this person, his partner that he's been with for all these years is being possessed by this alien. And she's the enemy now. And the proof in this is that now all of a sudden she's eating this raw meat. She's drinking this blood, you know, by eating this raw meat. And that's not something that a human would do. That's something that these aliens do. This is something that's new for her, something that she just tried. Um, it was a new recipe for her. She just tried it and she really liked it. And so, I mean, and steak tartare, I mean, it's, we've all heard of that, right? So this is something that is, okay, so he's being told that this is something from Satan. This is, this is proof that she is being possessed by an alien. She is now an alien. And then he gets the shipment of Oregon and suddenly she is against the Oregon. The Oregon's stupid. This looks like a paperweight. You shouldn't be doing this. We shouldn't be wasting our money on this. So in this man's mind, he's already been told that her food choices are proof that she's turned into this reptile alien that this alien has taken possession of her body and now this Oregon this crystal thing that he bought that's supposed to be deadly to these aliens he gets the shipment into his home and she's throwing a fit and pushing them out of the house and saying get rid of these these are stupid how could you buy these? These are ridiculous. Throw it away. Get rid of it. And to him, that's even more proof that she's this alien creature, that she's this demon, that she's she's the enemy. But she's the only person he's ever loved. She's the only physical contact that he has. So what do you do? And maybe, maybe this whole thing was a test. Maybe him handing her the gun and putting it against her his head and telling her, kill me, was a test. Maybe he thought if she isn't this demon person, he she won't do it. She won't be able to. And she did it thinking that, you know, they'd been fighting and all this stuff has been going on and he's pushing me and he's urging me and emotions are high and maybe he did grab her. Maybe he did, you know, maybe, I don't know. I don't know what went on there. But what I know is that these cults can really get under your skin. And maybe she was mad. Maybe he was spending a lot of money on these 
plastic paperweights that she's saying will kill these alien things. And then, you know, people are coming up and they're threatening them and they're, you know, taking pictures of their house and that's threatening. And they're saying that she's this evil thing because she likes raw meat. And they're saying all of these horrible things about her. And he's still staying in this cult. And he's still believing this stuff. And she's always thought it was kind of crazy anyway. And yet he's not defending her, you know. And so emotions run high. I don't know. But I know that cults can get crazy and there are people that will believe things and there will are people that will kill for what they believe in and there are people that will die for what they believe in so i have seen rumors that sherry schreiner has possibly died speaking of death i saw in a couple of articles stating that there were rumors that she'd possibly died, but I couldn't find anything definitive. I couldn't find any death records. I couldn't find anything like that. Um, There are rumors that her daughter's taken over her cause. There is no activity on her Facebook by her. There is activity by other people on her Facebook. Her Facebook is still going. Her YouTube channel and her um, live stream and stuff is all two years old. There isn't anything new on that. There aren't any new articles and stuff on her website, but the website is still open. There is a way to donate and everything, but her Facebook page is still open and is still active, and they are still actively a cult. Um, So, There you go. Um, There is the story of Steve Minio's murder, suicide, whatever you want to call it, and the Sherry Shriner alien cult. I really don't know how I'm going to top this one. Um, I'm going to try to find a really cool cult to highlight this month for you. I'm going to keep digging and see what I can find. So I will talk to you next time. Have a great 4th of July and be looking for our next episode, which will be dropping tomorrow. Bye.